Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and I'll be your host for this television series. UMGA TV and the Historical Society are continuing series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features a return visit with Jack Brennan. Jack tells us about his experiences as a Marine in World War II and returning here to King of Prussia. He went on to work with the police department, was a founding member of the King of Prussia Fire Company and its first chief. Let's sit back and listen to Jack Brennan remember when. First got on the police department in 1954. We had a township manager, his name was Joe Shoemaker. He resided on uh, Shoemaker Road. It runs from, uh, let's see, uh, Al not Allendale Road, but uh, Henderson Road to 23. Right. And uh, there's a little shopping center down there now. Yes. Right? He had all the town uh, township administration papers and everything, and an old wicker case. And when we were being paid, which was, I started out with my salary was a night, let's see, 1954 was $3,500 a year. And we got paid twice a month, and we had to go to Joe Shoemaker's home to get paid. And you might think he was coming out of his own pocket. <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, you did a pretty good job. He said, these uh, last couple of weeks, Jack, he said, you're most deserving of this. I said, thank you, Mr. Shoemaker. I get my check and take off. But he was a great old guy, and he had the, Anytime we had problems in the township, we'd have to get down and show for him, take him to different areas over the roads and, and the areas in the township that had to be looked at and old Joe would go along with us, you know. And he was really a great old guy. He took care of everything. I said, what a contrast between him and Mr. Wagner that we have today. Oh, many years different. <laughs> the difference in the managing, what they had to do and the responsibility. And Ron Wagner, in my opinion, is about the best township manager anybody could ever have. Never want to get rid of him. A very quiet township, uh, nothing but farmland, like I say, and the uh, mm -hmm. biggest uh, number of people in Upper Marion Township at that time we lived in Swedesburg in Sweden. Uh, the other times, that we might have a lot of times we had to pick up and take care of cattle that uh, got loose in the township. We had to get them together and make sure that the farmer came down, picked them up, and put them back in there. We didn't have too many problems as far as uh, police work was concerned. Like I say, we had a lot of honest people in the township at that time. And uh, I'll never forget the time we, uh, an officer of the and I were on duty and uh, we got a uh, call that there was a truckload of pigs that turned over in Port Kennedy. So officer of the and I had to go up and round up the pigs and quite a few of them got killed. There was two tiers of pigs and one came on top of the other, crushed them. Mm -hmm. And the rest of them took off through the park. So there might be some wild hogs up there in Valley Forge Park <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, I recall uh, years ago when uh, President Kennedy was staying to George Washington Motor Lodge. And I was on a security detail with Officer Dunleavy and with the uh, Secret Service. And uh, he had a lot of charisma, that man yeah. did. Uh, talk, you shake your hand, right down the earth, man. And... Uh, he was staying at the George Washington Motor Lodge at that time. And we escorted him to 202 in Town Center Road, where he got up and made a little speech, and then he went on down into Bridgeport. The following week, uh, President uh, Nixon came through. And it was the same deal. He went down and stopped up on top of Town Center Road and delivered a speech, and he went down into Bridgeport. And uh, quite a few years later, when uh, President Ford uh, came to uh, Valley Forge Park, and uh, at that time it was a state park, and he transferred it over to a national park. And he came in on a helicopter, and that was a security deal at that, that time, and uh, I was trying to say, yes, my, uh, I guess it was my nephew, yes, was the first one off the chopper. He was a Secret Service man, Tommy Nighthill, made sergeant in about six years, a patrol sergeant, and then, uh, Later on, I, I guess it was the 1970s, I made lieutenant. But uh, there a lot of duties in the department at that particular time was patrol work, you know. And uh, uh, we had uh, several problems later on in those years we, relative to people with guns and 
Uh, I recall one time on Valley Forge Road, East Valley Forge Road, it was around 11 o'clock, we were changing shifts, and we got a call that uh, a person went berserk and uh, had a big shooting on East Valley Forge Road. And I grabbed two men, and we went on down there, and uh, this gentleman, he was uh, from the state hospital, he was home on the weekends, and uh, he had a shotgun when we got there, and he ran in the back of the house, and uh, had two officers go on one side of the house, and I went on the other. And I told him to drop the gun, he was just starting to put more shells in it, and I talked to him for a while, and he eventually gave up, and we took him back, and uh, had to take him back to the state hospital. And we had another incident, uh, down in King Manor, where a gentleman was getting his electricity cut off. And uh, he chased the people from the Pico off the property with a gun, so I went down and talked them out of the gun. And that's why I said that's one of the biggest bene beneficial factors you could have being a police officer, being able to communicate with people. And we had another one down in Sweden, where a guy was chasing everybody up the street with his shotgun. And I talked to him, but uh, he didn't want to go, so. Uh, he had saw one of our police officers and uh, took off and I uh, got up to him and belted him one. He went down and took him over and put him in the county prison. I wasn't able to communicate him with him very well. <laughs> <laughs> he talked to him in a different manner. That's all. Yeah, I couldn't talk him out. He went on started peacefully, but as soon as he knew he was going to jail, he, uh, he, uh, he got a little nasty. It was the south end of the town, so we had uh, a few women uh, who were raped. Uh, in Lower Murray Township, Radnor Township, and Tredifferent Township. We all butt one another in Upper Murray Township. And we had one incident in Upper Murray. So I happened to be on that detail with the state police, the Upper Murray Police, Radnor Police, Tredifferent Police, and Lower Murray Police. We all worked in conjunction, and we eventually caught the gentleman. He was from the Mount Pleasant area, and mm -hmm. he did several years in the Greater's Fort. Right. Oh, we had a, uh, I remember a couple suicides or attempted suicides, and one was uh, a woman that uh, went a little berserk, and uh, she went up into the uh, Marshall Field Apartments up here in 202, mm -hmm. and she got up in the top floor, and she was going to jump out the, out the window, and uh, I grabbed her and pulled her back in and talked to her, and uh, she uh, went all right for a while, and then she got a little nasty, and and I told the other officer with me, get a blanket, you know. He said, what for? I said, get me a blanket. So I wrapped her in a blanket and pulled her kind of tight. And uh, that time, old Jay Kurtzog was in Lafayette Ambulance. He came there at that particular time, right before I got the uh, wrapper in a blanket and got her down there. Well, she hauled off and checked me in the groin area. And uh, so anyway, we got her back onto the uh, stretcher and uh, she went to bite old Jay Kurtzog. And he was a rough old guy. He used to be the Chief of the uh, Sweden Fire Company, he hauled off and wham, he knocked my, hit her right across the face, and she never said another word. <laughs> never attempted. She went to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had another time, we had a call about a girl committing suicide up there near Valley Forge Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got up there, she had put a loop around her neck and threw the other part of the rope over her. The tree limb, and she's pulling on this side of the rope. <laughs> and we got there, and she said, "Will you please pull the rope?" <laughs> oh, these are some of the things I recall. Yes. Remember the uh, the, the sisters that lived in the antique store on uh, Henderson Road uh, that were murdered. Oh, the Maley girls. Yes, that's it. There was uh, they were they were good friends of mine. I used to get down and do quite a bit of hunting in that nursery. Mister Maley, her father, the two Maley girls. And uh, they had quite a few people from Philadelphia work for her at the nursery. And uh, she paid them cash every Saturday. And uh, so this one particular time was on a Saturday. And uh, one of the people used to work for her uh, had spread the news around that uh, they got paid by cash on Saturday. So these two gentlemen came on up and uh, they shot both of them. They killed both of them, and uh, we we eventually caught them. Right. That was Maley's Nursery on that's, South Henderson right. Road. Yeah, I can remember that. Do you recall that? Yes. They were very nice girls, and I uh, we found out later the uh, Jean, the big husky girl, who was like more or less the foreman, and her sister was a very mild, uh, young lady, and uh, they had laid both of them on the floor and told them to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. 
while they were ransacking the house for money. And uh, the one girl was very quiet, but Jean, she was boisterous, and she started wanting to get up and uh, shot Jean first, and or rather the one that was causing the problem first through the head. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, went and uh, said, well, we might as well get rid of the witness, and they shot the other mm -hmm. one. I was a witness in that case, so. Were you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, at that particular time, like I say, they're very good friends of mine. I was on vacation down at the shore, and uh, I saw it in a bulletin. It happened on a Saturday, and I saw it in a bulletin Sunday morning, or that there was the inquiry, rather. Right. And uh, I read about the um, double murder of the Maley sisters. Right. Now, you were also involved in the fire department. You were the first chief of the fire department? Yes, I was, uh, I was on the police department, and I'm rather on the fire department, and uh, I helped to organize the fire company, myself and uh, uh, Bill Wills, who was the uh, head of the township government at that time. He was a tax collector. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ed Mack, who had the uh, service station at the corner of 202 and 23. And uh, I think there was also Bill Anderson mm -hmm. and uh, George Santoro, who was a school teacher up in Marion High School. And uh, we got together, we knew the need for a fire company out in Upper Marion. And uh, like I said, it was all farmland. And uh, so we used to have to go around to the farmers and ask them to start up little handmade ponds and everything, right. handmade ponds to pump from. But uh, uh, when I was, uh, I was at work and uh, when I was called, George Beck called me up. Uh, uh, well, I was a worker, James Lee, Woolen Mill in Bridgeport, right. and uh, my boss came over to me, Charlie Fair, and he says, uh, Jack, you got a telephone call. So I went on over to the telephone, and uh, he says, George Beck's, hi, chief. I said, what do you mean, chief? He says, we just elected you chief of the King of Prussia <laughs> Fire Company. I said, I don't know anything about fighting fires. And they said, well, we'll all learn together. I said, the only fire I ever fought was on Saipan, and some of the Japs mm -hmm. swam around uh, uh, our lines, got back of the lines and put an ammo dump on fire. So I was delegated to help to put out the fire there by throwing a lot of sand and everything over, you know, bulldozers and everything. And uh, so as, as all of that, we had a set machine gun post all along the beach there. They've been swimming around and uh, I was a machine gunner and they tried to come around a few other times and uh, we stopped them from coming around. Yeah. Where'd you get your training in the for the what the For the fire company. Oh, the fire company. I really, I learned together with uh, uh, the Chief uh, Schultz of uh, Swedesburg Fire Company, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Pitt Camel from George Clay Fire Company, what's going to Hawken, and Andy Cavalia of Sweden Fire Company. He was a fire chief, and they took me under their wing, and they taught me quite a bit. Yeah. I, uh, they, that's they, how they, I got an eye. They have sort of a formal program, or was it just... Oh, no, it just took, you know, get down. nothing formal like they have nowadays with all this... Malarkey, you know, you just got to get out, Jack, this is the apparatus and, you know, and this is the booster tank and different parts and Simonese connections and sprayers and everything of that nature and Ansel units to use for electrical fires or oil fires, things of that nature. And how long were you associated with the fire company? I was chief for about four years yes. until they asked if I would kindly go into the police department. I see. But so you weren't doing both at the same time? You were... Well, I was originally and the and the problem was that uh, when I'd be out on patrol and uh, they got a call about a fire mm -hmm. and I would respond right away to the scene to try to put it out myself. Mm -hmm. And if that large by the fire apparatus would come and I'd start directing the firemen, eventually the chief came on and he said, listen, Brennan, you're a police officer now, not a fire chief. He says, let them take care of the fire, you take care of the traffic. Okay. <laughs> so I had to relinquish the job yeah, as fire chief. chief. <laughs> Uh, the one fire I recall, not really spectacular, there were two of them, good fire. Grabowski's Garage on, on uh, Flint Hill Road in Sweden was on fire, and it was that hot, it was melting the uh, panes of glass were coming down. And uh, so we were uh, one part of the building to take care of it. The Swedesburg in Sweden also responded. They were there, and that was their area. And I told the men, get out of the building right now. And uh, I know sooner got the men out of the building. Collapsed. It collapsed. Yeah. And uh, then we had another fire. Um, I'll never forget this one. 
a flyer on the, a home flyer on the church road. And uh, we went down there, and the gentleman that owned a home, he was quite a drinker. And uh, he was had a pretty good load on there at that time. And I said to him, I said, are there any of your kids? He had quite a few children. I said, are any of your children or your wife in the building? And he said, I'll be damn fine, though, just like that. So I put a mask on, they put a rope on me, and I went in, into the residence and called out if I could. I had a mask yeah. on. And... Uh, so I was feeling around the different bedrooms in the area, and there were beds in the uh, bedroom, and I felt this head of hair, and I reached down, and it was a dog. Oh. <laughs> a big, hairy dog, and I went to put the dog at, out, out the window to get it okay, and uh, one of the hoses hit, knocked my mask off, oh. <laughs> and they had to pull me out with the rope for rather Oh, thank you, Joe. Our house was at Ednax Garage, and that was on 202 and 23. It was an old garage in back of a service station. Yeah. There was a service station on the corner, our coming service station, uh -huh. uh, was running the service station. Right. And then there was a restaurant of Ednax, and then on the back end was a, an old garage with an old pot-belly stove in it. And uh, we had the apparatus in there, and it was a international 1950 L190. Uh, terrific pump on a very good pumper. And uh, when the state highway was coming through with 202, the expressway, and the turnpike, and they used to call King of Prussia the hub of the east. They had the turnpike there, you had 202, you had 23, and uh, everything really verging into the center of King of Prussia. So they were coming through. I, uh, I uh, had to look for a place for the apparatus. So Gene Suplee, who was a postmistress at that time, a king of Prussia, grand old lady. And uh, she had a couple garages and a chicken coop. And uh, so I asked her if we could use part of her building. She said, yes, go ahead. So uh, there was uh, Al Hendren, Jack Crockett, who was a builder, a uh, contractor, myself and Bert Davis and Sal Mazzarelli. And we went in to tour out the whole partition where all the chicken coops and everything were. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we all wound up with chicken lice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's where we housed the apparatus at that time. And uh, I taught Gene how to start the apparatus up mm -hmm. and then pull it out into the uh, driveway there and sound the siren when there was a fire. Yeah. And uh, she'd have it all ready for us when we got oh, there. Yeah. Ready to go. <laughs> so Jean was a great old girl, I'll tell you. She uh, not only postmistress, she was a wonderful woman. And uh, so we had a meeting. George Santor was the president of the fire company at that time. And we had several men that were interested, you know, in keeping the firehouse going. And I got up at the meeting one time and I said, look, I said, we want to start a woman's auxiliary. Now the guys were, we don't want no women that are a fire company. They went out to fight a fire. I said, the women are auxiliary will be the backbone of any fire company. I said, another thing is, you're going to give them a night out. They'll be able to give you a night out to go to the meeting, you know. Hey, that's a good idea, Jack. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I'll go up and see Gene Supply. So I went up and saw Gene Supply. I said, hey, Gene, how about starting a woman's auxiliary? So she started the woman's auxiliary in her living room with Francis Pascal. Remember Don Pascal? Yes. And he was a great guy, too. I was one of my hunting buddies. And uh, he built the first little shopping center in Upper Marion Township. Okay, yeah. You recall that mm -hmm. one? Yeah. And he had, uh, Bob Lee had the hardware right. store. Right. Just there and, in Shoemaker uh, Road. Maury Weisenbaum had the, uh, uh, the drug store. Yes. Bill Eddie Knasik had the barber shop. And Bill Wills had the real estate office in the end. And Don Pascal lived in the house down in the rear, and he had a store down in there, a this, grocery store. This was on 202, you're talking this about? This on 202, okay. right below yeah. Gene Suplee's yes. residence. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Don really had the, and he also was the one to start the, and owned the Valley Forge Tavern. He built the Valley Forge Tavern, right. who later on he turned it over to Lee Gruber, mm -hmm. who had the Mount, uh, Valley Forge Music Service. Well, didn't he build that shopping center on Shoemaker Road also? As he built the shopping center there, and he lived in old Joe Shoemaker's home directly across the street. Don was a great guy. He, uh, he, he really gave you a lot of history of the township as yeah. far as that's concerned. He'd be a good guy to talk to. Yeah. He and I and Billy Walker 
And Joe Smolinski and I used to hunt all together all the time, and Ed Mack once in a while. Yeah. Well, Ed Mack, wasn't he the, uh, didn't he have a garage? In he, the, had the, he had the, all the property at the corner. Yeah. Was it he, a repair garage? Or what, what no, have? it was just an old garage he oh. stored things in. Then Ed Mack left here, and he went up and bought a, quite a bit of ground up in the Poconos. And he had quite a bit of property up there. I know he told me one time, wanted me to come up there and hunt with him one time. We went on all farms, Billy Walker's farm, and then my, my aunt's farm is where the uh, plaza is. Now, the court is now, the King of Prussia right. Court, the plaza. Right. That was my aunt's farm, the, where the court is. And then the other side of that was the Wilson farm. And up top of the hill was the straw hacker farm, where GE is, American Marietta. Mm -hmm. That was a farm up there. And we hunted up the whole area. And with old Billy Walker, who was the patriarch, of Upper Marion Township, he had property. He had the nose he could hunt on any ground in Upper Marion Township. So I accompanied him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what were you getting mostly? Deer, rabbits? Well, no, mostly pheasants, pheasants rabbits, and we got deer in Upper Marion. A lot of deer in Upper Marion, yeah. but mostly pheasant, rabbit. And there was quite a few of them uh, right there on the, the Andersons' farm. Was uh, they put a drive-in theater there at the far right. end of it? Right. Do you recall that? Yes. Well, anyway, why? Well, I used to be on patrol sometimes at night, and uh, 11 to 7 shift, and uh, I'd be coming by there at daytime around the, uh, the music uh, uh, where they had the uh, outside theater. Mm -hmm. I'd look out there and I'd see 40 or 50 pheasants out there on the macadam eating popcorn. <laughs> oh, kid, people are throwing out, you know, during the night. Yeah. And I go home, have my breakfast, mm -hmm. and start out hunting with old Billy Walker and yeah. Don Pastel, and we had quite a few birds. Right. We had big game dinner at the end of every year, and uh, we used to get together and uh, have pheasants, rabbit. We had deer, venison. Uh, a big game dinner. And old Billy, he was a great coon hunter. A coon hunter. Raccoon. Yeah. I never went raccoon hunting. <laughs> with him. He's a great guy for hunting raccoons, and uh, he used to get them and eat them. <clears throat> and he said they were delicious. I never tried a raccoon. This bottle is the 1921, and at uh, Walker's Dairy, Billy Walker's Dairy, Dairy Farm. And uh, I'm going to give you this for the Historical Society. That's great. You're most deserving of Thank it. Thank you. I have another one at home, yeah. and I gave Howard his son one of them. And uh, the way we got this was in a manure pile at back of Billy Walker's farm trying to get some worms to go fishing. <laughs> so here is the bottle. Thank you Where's very the much. The we'll take good, si good care of that, and I'll get a prominent okay. spot. <laughs> right. That's only for milk now, you know. To supplement my salary, I only made $3,500 a year. I was married, had one child at that time, and uh, I uh, went over to the sheriff's department. A friend of mine was the Sheriff Riley of uh, Montgomery County, uh, sheriff's department, and uh, he said, Jack, I'd like you to take a side job whenever you can. He said, I need some young, younger men to take care of some of the prisoners I have. So uh, I was a deputy sheriff on the side. I'd sometimes pull 11 to 7 shift on the Upper Marion uh, Police Department, and then I'd, I'd go home and get something to eat, take a shower, and, and go over and be a deputy sheriff until about 12 or 1 o'clock mm -hmm. uh, in the afternoon. And uh, my biggest responsibility at that time was uh, to take the convicted felons from Montgomery County Courthouse to Graders Fort. And uh, a couple of them, one was Elmo, uh, Elmo Smith. He was the last man to be electrocuted in the state of Pennsylvania. He was a, a rapist and murderer. He uh, murdered a girl by the name of Peggy Ann Mitchell from Philadelphia. And he uh, attacked a girl here in Upper Marion Township. And uh, I want to mention any names because of the family sure. and the condition. Right. I knew who they were. And he was apprehended and he was uh, convicted. Uh, also, we had a gentleman by the name of um, Henry Sliver. He was the ba uh, mainline bandit. He was a cat burglar. A cat burglar is a uh, person that burglarizes a home uh, when people are in it late at night or early in the morning. And uh, I got to meet him. He didn't know at that time I was a police officer. He just thought I was a deputy. 
And uh, I more or less asked him, talked to him, to find out a little bit about him. And he was a great guy for history, especially Valley Forge Park. He used to get on to make his way up to Valley Forge Park and read history books up there and learn all about George Washington, Continental Army, General Van Steuben. He knew everything up there. And uh, that was his hobby. His other hobby was burglarizing homes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had a way of getting behind, uh, into a home, and uh, getting uh, by the house dog. If they had a dog in the house, never bothered him. Yeah. He said he always had a little bit of treat for him, and he gave that to him. He got friends of them. He entered the premises, he went and take nothing but money and jewelry. And I was also on that investigation because of the fact they had to use bloodhounds one time when he came out of a home over here in uh, Radnor. And uh, at that particular time, he went to, made his way on foot down uh, to the expressway, crossed the expressway, and hid in the boxcar. So uh, friends of mine who I worked with, quite a few, Herbie Hoffman, State Police, and Chester Kapuski, they were on the investigation also. And they had the bloodhounds come down and stopped at the expressway and won't go any further. So they released the dog when they went back up to his trainer. And uh, they went across the expressway. There was boxcars there. And he was hiding in a boxcar, and that's how they got him. And he admitted, I guess, to about 35 or 40 big burglaries in the main line. Hmm. Name was Henry Sliver. Henry Sliver. Uh, the uh, how many years did you work uh, in that position? I worked on the sheriff's department for about uh, well, I guess about eight or nine years. Hmm. See what they had over at that particular time. They had a, a bunch of elderly men that got their job through politics, you know, uh, as uh, deputy sheriffs. And uh, when I first went over there, they didn't really know how to cuff a guy and. They'd have to walk him from the county prison right. to the courthouse, which was about maybe 50, 60 yards away. Right. A lot of times they just took off running. And they couldn't catch him. He couldn't do anything about him. They didn't have any guns mm -hmm. at that time. And uh, so he started recruiting a lot of police officers from Norristown Police Department, Upper Marin Township, Conshohocken, okay. Bridgeport, uh, to supplement the force over there, and uh, so we were the ones that did all the transporting of the, the real bad criminals. Right. You uh, there was uh, also a group. I'm sorry, uh, they were very dangerous. Was uh, they start the prison? Uh, they started the prison riot in uh, Greater's Fort, and that was Cosby, uh, Mandarell, and Maybury, and they were really hardened criminals. I mean, robbers, bank robbers, big burglaries, big jewelry jobs. And uh, we conveyed the three of them to Greater's Fort. And the assistant uh, to the uh, sheriff over there at that time, he's the only one that had a pistol. So he said to me, Jack, you take the pistol. He said, you're a better shot than I am. He's in case they try to get away. I says, okay. So he never gave me the pistol. And we took the three of them up to Greatest Fort, and Warden Wires was waiting for him. <laughs> he said, "Strip him." And he said, "Also deposit your your weapon here at the gate. You can't you can't go any further with it." And Mort looked at me. He said, "Jack, you got the pistol?" I said, "I don't have no pistol. You never gave me one." <laughs> we were up there, took three of them up there. There's only three of us without a weapon. <laughs> if they didn't know that, I don't think I'd be here. <laughs> I got a call one day uh, that there was a woman screaming on the phone at the uh, Kingwood Apartments. And they thought there was a burglar there or her husband assaulting her or uh, a rape or something of that nature. So I hurried on down and I got there. When I got there, opened the door, she's screaming. She's, half of her garments were pulled off of her. She had scratches on her face. She's screaming hard. I had to calm her down. And I said, where's, your, where's the intruder? She's, not, that's my husband over there. He's not the intruder. And he was holding on to this doorknob at the bathroom, holding on. And he was all disheveled. And uh, the place looked like a, a hurricane hit it. And I said, he, she said, he's in there. He's in there. And so this husband there, he said, he's, he's holding on to the doorknob. And I said, let him out. Let, let go. Get out of the way. Both of you get out of the way. I'll take care of this. And I went up there. 
and the door floor, and it was a chimpanzee. Jumped right at me, called him Ulysses. He's about that high. All I could see was his teeth coming at me. And I just, the only thing I could grab was a, a broom. Uh-huh. And I beat him right into the cage. I, I started that chimpanzee and drove him right into the cage and then put the lock on it. Here are these two young couple, this young couple, won this chimpanzee, which they weren't allowed, no animals that came with the apartment. Because yeah. I knew the manager real well, the Byron Knack. And you weren't allowed a dog, a cat, or even a canary in there. And they had smuggled it in late at night, you know, they had a rope. And they lived on the second floor, and they pulled it up with the rope, and they had it in there. And oh my God, that was, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And the chimpanzee. Then we had used to have snake calls. You know, the police department took care of any, everything. We didn't have any animal control officer at that time. So I got this officer Nishalski was working with me, and I no sooner got home and uh, got out of my clothes, and I'm mowing the lawn and and taking care of the lawn, and the police car pulled up in a big hurry, and the Chelsea jumped out. He said, hey, he said, Sarge, do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, I'm on a snake call in Candlebrook, and he says, I'm afraid of snakes. He said, it's down in the cellar. And at that time, people were just moving in the yeah. Candlebrook area, you know, right. most of them from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And they were outside, these women screaming and hollering, you know, it's a big snake down in the cellar. It was unoccupied, but that was the house they were supposed to move into. They were up taking a look at it. And uh, so anyway, I said, don't worry about it. And I just had, and Chelsea said, get a shotgun. I said, I don't have no shotgun in the house. So I took a sickle, the kind you used for, yeah. like, golfing, you know, right. as a sickle. So I we went down the solar steps and sure that the biggest black snake I ever saw was trying to get up the side of the, to get out the window, but he couldn't make it, kept on falling back. And the Schultz, he's in back of me. He has his gun out. I said, don't use the gun in here. So I said, I'll take care of the snake. Come gliding over. And I <laughs> took nearly his head off with the sickle, you know. It was that big. It was wrapped all around my arm, constricting, you know, when I had it. And I said, get those people out of the way. When I take it, I was going to throw it out in the field. So I came up to, up to the door with that snake. Well, one woman, she went in a shock. <laughs> Another one tried to turn around and run, and she fell over the doorstop and big gash in her knees. That's a good thing Dr. Lachlan, you know Dr. Lachlan, lived across the street in Heritage Lane. Yeah. He came over and he had assisted them and called the ambulance. But I said to Nishalti, don't call me again. If you have a snake call, you take care of your own snakes. <laughs> Another time I got a call, uh, there was a prowler call up on Kingwood Road. Not Kingwood Road, King of Prussia Road. And this woman was in there, and she said, there was a prowler around. I said, how do you know? She said, I know because my buddy here knows there's somebody outside. I what do you mean, your buddy here? She was babysitting. She's right over there. And on this couch was a large python, a large snake. It was her snake. It was her pet. And she keeps up putting his head toward that window. She said, I thought I heard noise there. I backed out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I looked around outside. I said, no, nobody outside here. And I took off. And <laughs> Mays was a state police officer and lived in Candlebrook there. He said, Jack, I really got a problem. He says, there's a skunk in my outside fireplace. He said, and I can't get it out. And it starts spraying all the time. He said, nobody can help me out. He said, could you take care of it? I said, where is it? He said, at the end of the yard, we have a fireplace. that burn different things at the end of the yard. I says, okay. So I grabbed a shotgun, went by real quick, and wham, that was the end of the skunk. skunk. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to bury you, take care of now. <laughs> we took care of everything, snakes, we had dog complaints, we'd take care of the dogs. Uh, we had uh, an incident years ago where a lot of the dogs, uh, stray dogs, wild dogs, more or less in Golf Mills area, mm-hmm. and Mr. Elliott down there had a farm down there off of Warden Road on the right-hand mm-hmm. side, mm-hmm. off of 23 by the Hanger Rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a farm there, he had a lot of sheep. They were killing the sheep. So, uh, so the state piece, uh, the state uh, would notify relative to it, the uh, dog wardens for the state. So they told us at any time when we were on patrol and we were down there, you know, dispose right. of the dog. Right. And, uh, we had to get down there and uh, shot a few of the dogs. And a couple of dogs got up around Valley Forge uh, Cemetery. There was a couple reported over there. And I wasn't on duty at that time. It was, uh, 
sergeant blew it, and the officers dehaving. They were on that detail. And they were with a couple, they were over there, and they tried to take care of a couple of dogs. The dogs ran across the street over into the homes that were there. So they shot the one dog, the other dog went in there, and they advised all the people to stay inside. And the one person had to come out. At that time, one of the police, I can't say which one, <laughs> fired and the bullet ricocheted off the uh, side of the house and come up and caught the gentleman just on the side, just creased his ear with the oh, bullet. Yeah. And the sergeant on there said, you did it. And he said, no, I didn't do it. You did it. But the sergeant went out. <laughs> <laughs> so they were giving him a warning about it, but that's about it. Yeah. We had to dispose of the dogs, skunks, dogs, snakes, you name it. We never had any tacit squads. If we had people who had a gun or a knife or whatever they had, we had to do it. One of us or a couple, that's all. You did it all. Did it all. I never knew once that we had called for assistance from another police department or uh, state police uh -huh. or anything with the exception of the almost strike. Yeah. That's the only time we had plenty of help, yeah. the state police. Yeah. And I was in the middle of that. What's, uh, what was, uh, give us some details about that. Well, I was on, I was the uh, patrol sergeant, 11 to 7, and I had officer dehaven at that time in that particular area where the shirting is. Right. And uh, they were in progress of uh, uh, putting a certain uh, hotel up, and uh, they had a lot of problems with the union, especially the roofers union, local 3030, Mr. Trace's group. And uh, so anyway, why uh, Officer DeHaven reported to me, I guess it was around 6.30 in the morning, right before we were going off, he says quite a few uh, people gathering, he says a couple hundred of them at the uh, restaurant right adjacent to the Sheraton. Used to call it the Sting, right? Thing, the name of this, and he advised me of it. So I quick went to the uh, station and and uh, I called for the chief. I couldn't get the chief. I went through the chain of command. I called the lieutenant, and I said, "Look, I said there's going to be a problem with the almost strike." I said, "You better get the chief in touch with the chief and establish a command post. We're going to have problems, and we're going to need assistance." I only had, at that time, six or seven men. And I was told, take your men and go home. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I called back again. I said, look, I'm telling you, there's going to be a problem there. This is lieutenant's house. I'm, I'm calling his wife saying, well, he's in the shower. And I said, well, I'm telling you, this could tell me. Well, use your own discretion, he told me. So I held the men over. I went up there, and with uh, I think I had six men. There was about 1,200 goons up there. They already ripped the fence down, were traveling along the line, and doing a lot of damage. And they reckoned the devil out with Chuck Volpe's uh, equipment up there. Right. Chuck, uh, the supervisor that we have now, sure. he had all his equipment. He was helping to put that place together. And uh, so I told the men, I said, all you could do is put your back up against the fence and protect the property. Well, after about an hour, you know, and they start coming our way pretty well, so I made my way through the line. And I guess it's uh, a little while later, here comes Ch Chief riding by. And I said, Chief, I said, what are you going to do? Where's our help? Where's our assistance? And he told me something else. And we got our assistance today, I guess, about an hour later, the state police came and assisted us. But we couldn't do nothing. We had to just stand there and watch, you know. I knew what Custer felt like then. Right. And uh, they try to get rid of me in a way, but uh, I won't move. Yeah. I'm a stubborn old Irish Marine. <laughs> <laughs> Tough combination. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with the training I had in the Marine Corps, I wasn't, I wasn't that much afraid. Yeah. Joined the Marine Corps uh, February 4th, 1942, and uh, went to Paris on, had my training. And then I was shipped uh, out to California where they cleared all the East Coast Guard stations and all. And uh, a lot of them at that particular time, right before me, went from there right to Guadalcanal. Right. And uh, so I was sent out to the uh, West Coast, and uh, I started out in a light tank outfit, the old M3A1s, with a 37 caliber and a, a, a cannon, supposed to be a cannon, and a machine gun on the side. And they were very cumbersome. You had to nearly stop them to shoot them. 
we didn't get a Guybrushed stabilizer until nearly a year later mm -hmm. to settle the gun down. Okay. And uh, but anyway, I started out with a light tank outfit, and uh, I went overseas. Uh, the second aerodrome battalion on the Ellie side was Nuki Fatal Funafuti and Nanamea, and I was on the Nuki Fatal. And uh, we were hold the island until they built an airfield there. And uh, Japs, we saw Jap ships and planes more than we saw our own at that time. And uh, they would lay a couple bombs on us once in a while and, and fire at us from the uh, destroyer or something. You know. So we held that. And then the 2nd Marine Division came up from uh, New Zealand. And they rendezvoused the food of Funafuti. And they went up and they hit Tarawa. People go Tarawa or Tarawa. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when they came back, there was quite a few men up there, especially the Amtrak guys that take him with the small Amtrak and take him in with machine guns. And that saved the day up there because they couldn't get a Higgins boat or another boat up over to Coral. They were the only things you could go in and take the men into the beach. And uh, so as a result of that, well, yeah, I was a replacement for those people on the Amtrak with the machine guns on the front. And I, uh, part of my organization had to go and take care of the, go out of the tanks. And we drew cards. The red cards went to the Amtrak. The black uh, cards stayed with the tanks. Mm -hmm. So I drew a red card, and I went with the Amtrak. And uh, as a machine gunner. And uh, I hit the fourth wave on Saipan and the first wave on Tinian. And I was on Tinian when they... B-29 took off with Ellen Gay right. and dropped the bombs, uh, um, bombs on the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. And when they came back and we got the word what happened, we knew the war wasn't going to last that much longer. Yeah. Well, I was mostly, uh, mostly a machine gunner. Uh -huh. Well, I couldn't use the Amtraks. We went in with the Amtraks. And the first Amtraks that hit beaches are the ones that stay there and give support fire with the machine gun the infantry and everything right. coming in. And they, the second wave bring the men and the material in. And like on Saipan, I was on a fourth wave. I brought the men in and we stayed in there. I unloaded a lot of mortar ammunition, ammunition and everything like that, that nature. Then we could back out, bring another load in. And uh, then after they couldn't use the uh, Amtraks on Saipan, after we are done with that, then they would take us and use us machine gunners, enlisting right. post they right. call, all along the beach. Mm -hmm. They'd have three riflemen, then they'd have three men with a machine gun, then three more riflemen, then three machine guns from the main line, from the line, and always back to the rear echelon area, because they were swimming in the back of us and, uh, and getting them back of the line. So our job was to get there in the early evening, set up machine guns, and when they start swimming around or coming around, well, we'd hammer at them and take care of them that way. They, we stopped them. After Saipan was taken, well, we went over and hit Tinian. I was in the first wave of that, so I had to stay in and support fire for quite a while. First wave. When were you discharged? I, I got a discharge December the 21st, 19... 45. And where were you discharged from? Bainbridge Hospital, Bainbridge, Maryland, uh -huh. Naval Hospital. Naval Hospital? I was in the hospital at IU Naval Hospital in Pearl Harbor, and uh, after I came back from the Marianas, and I was in the hospital, Oakland Naval Hospital in Oakland, California, and then they saw that I had 23 months over in the combat area, and I was, that was it, and they sent me to the closest hospital to home. We were supposed to go to Philadelphia Naval Hospital. Uh -huh. At that particular time, they were taking all the uh, blind cases and amputees at the Philadelphia mm -hmm. Naval Hospital. So they transferred me to Bainbridge, Maryland. Yeah, you were wounded? I was down there. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, I was down there for, I guess, eight months nearly. Right. Uh, I came back home. I wasn't married at that right. time. And uh, I guess about, I, the government got me a job as a CMP, Civilian Military Police, at the Valley Ford General Hospital. And that's where I met my wife. Oh. She was up there as a nurse. And uh, about a year later, we got married. And we got married in 1947. Mm -hmm. Where'd you live then? I lived at that time. We, uh, 
were in uh, Norristown. We had a little apartment in Norristown. And then after she started working at the Richie Dress Shop in Norristown, and like I say, I, uh, at that time I was working at James Lee's Wool Mill in the power department. And uh, we uh, started saving a few dollars and we got the home on Kingwood Road. First home on Kingwood Road, right, the center sure. block stucco home. Right. For $7,900 under the GI Bill of Rights. Right. That's how I got our first home. We were in there for about 12 years, and we moved to North Henderson Road, Avon, King of Prussia. And how many children did you have? Three. Three. I have a daughter right now is uh, 50 years old. I have another daughter, 46 years of age. No, no, Mike is 45. Sally is 50 years old. And my other, the oldest daughter is 54. Okay, they live in the area? Uh, Jackie, oldest daughter, she lives in King of Prussia. Sally lives in Saratoga. Mike lives in Gilbertsville. Right out 422. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't, we go up and visit them quite a bit. We're pretty well close in their family. Well, uh, the first house we had there in Kingwood Road, John Wood built it. He was, he was uh, a contractor at that time. And uh, when we lived in that house, I guess it was about a year or two, about two years, and my father and mother-in-law moved in from California, and they <clears throat> moved in upstairs. We had a little place for them upstairs. We only had one child at that time. And my father-in-law was had a few drinks once in a while, and he uh, fell asleep in bed with a cigarette, and my house got burned down. The fire chief. Yeah, it was gutted. <laughs> And uh, well, we go and got out, and uh, I fought. The, I got my wife and children out, and the in-laws out, and then I was fighting the fire with a garden hose. We didn't have an apparatus at the King of Prussia at that time. The apparatus had to come from Swedenborg and Sweden. And what, lo and behold, there's a train across the crossing at their 202 at Highway Material. And like I say, they had to wait for about 10 minutes before they get up to get to my house. And it was pretty well gutted by at that time. And uh, I had a dog at that time called King, the German Shepherd. And uh, he was my next door neighbor. When the fire started, I took my family next door. They got next door rather than I was fighting a fire. And they told us I had the dog, a German Shepherd. And that German shepherd broke away from the next door neighbor, went through the screen door and up the steps. Now I'm fighting the fire, laying on the floor there with a wet handkerchief over my face, fighting with a garden hose. And that dog drugged me downstairs. Yeah. Right down to the screen door. And I went through the street. I was overcome by smoke pretty well. So, and, saved uh, your life. Yeah. Right. That's, uh, that Bill Wills was uh, my insurance man, who was also the yeah. tax collector. Yeah. And he's an old Marine from the First World War, and I was one from the Second. He took a liking to me, and that's the guy that said I should be a fire chief and, uh, and all that malarkey. And then yeah. we started our fire company then. Well, you know, another thing we used to have in Upper Marine caused quite a bit of problem. My granddad, old Martin Cassidy, was one of the first ones to start that choir down on 202 after he came over from Ireland, you know. And he always maintained that there was a big stream running from Upper Marion right down through Ford Street in Bridgeport. That caused all the sinkholes we have out here. Mm -hmm. He said, because of the composition of the ground out there in Upper Marion Township, along that area going down there, was mostly of clay and limestone. Right. And after you get a lot of water, and everything washes the clay away from the limestone and it drops. And he said, you had the big quarry down there and the water level rushing down into that quarry down there. And 202. Well, now that quarry is, uh, of course, uh, Philadelphia Suburban Water. That's where the that's where the there. water reservoir. Yeah. I think the geese own it. The I never saw so many geese in all my life, including <laughs> that quarry down there. Did you ever see those no. geese down? Oh my yeah. God, there's hundreds of them down yeah. there in that quarry and that water. Never. Hope they're following you real well for the <laughs> suburban water. <laughs> but you know, we had talking about sinkholes. Billy Walker and I one day and Dom Pascal. And Joe Spolinski were hunting on my aunt's farm. And we were at the far end where the creek goes now. There's a creek that runs, used to run through the farm here, where the court is. It runs right, through the court's right, ground. Right. And it goes over and down back of the 
uh, King of Prussia Firehouse and makes his way over to Keeble Road. That's right, yeah. And uh, we were hunting there one day and uh, rabbit hunting, and we saw this tree, and there was a depression around the tree. So Billy Walker said, by God, that don't look good. So we can buy the next day in the same area. The tree wasn't there, and there was a big hole there, a sinkhole. It swallowed the whole tree. It was, the whole tree went down there, so we advised the township, so they fenced it off. So they had one of their employees, a guy by the name of Cannon. Dan Cannon used to be a steeplejack. And they had him go, and they put him on a rope and put him down in that hole. Let's see how far it went down in. It was, put some dye down there and there to find out where the water was going to come out. He got down so far, he said, get me the hell out of here. I look like I'm going to hell. Get me out of here. He got scared. He said, it was that big, the cavern down in there. Jeez, that big. That big. Remember the problems you had up yeah. here at the plaza? Right. Yeah. Uh, on 23 there? Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm very suspicious. <laughs> the other day, I took my brother Joe up to the plaza. I oh. pick him up and take him up here for lunch up by the court there. Right. And I saw him drilling oh. holes in different areas up in the court, where the court is near the garage. Yeah. So I have my suspicions. <laughs> I can't say any more than that. You know, I had another time when I was on the duty, and uh, they said they, uh, a couple motors reported the fact that there was a hole in 202 down there in the area where Kundasheim was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the chief sent me down there to check on it, and I looked down there, and I saw a depression in 202 in the northbound lane. So I looked at it, and it was getting larger. So I called the township, and they put barriers up and sent the traffic down down Crooked Lane and detoured it there on Anderson Road. I put block 202 off. I noticed sort of had a block off, and a state car pulled up. Who do you think you are? This is a state highway. What do you what are you blocking that highway off for? I said, because of that hole there. I said to the guys in the barrel, take him away. The state's here. We'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. And he said, you have no thought. And he looked at it. He said, oh, leave the barriers there. <laughs> and that's when the sinkhole developed there. And they had a detour it around. Yes. And where Kunda is down there, in, the, yeah, in there. Yeah, there was a big sinkhole there. Time. And the traffic was backed up. So I got out of the patrol car and started walking up toward the railroad. And people came by and they said, didn't you see that train hit the uh, car? I said, no, I didn't. They told me about it. I said, where's the car? They said, it's on the front of the train. So I parked the patrol car there, and I went down along the, uh, the train there, and uh, there was the, uh, all in the halfway down was the gasoline tank walking mm -hmm. on the side of the tracks. And uh, I know all these down, and uh, it was, uh, it was, Stopped at welding engineers. Right. And that's where, and I called Officer Steiner so he could check at the far end of it. And that's where it stopped it, the welding engineers right. down there. Right. But they had the car right on the front of it. Right. And they, Mrs. McLear, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. She was, uh, at that time, she was still alive. Helped to get her out of there. But the priest was dead, and uh, so was uh, her daughter. Right. And prior to that, they had one along road, the same thing. A mobile crane, a train hit a mobile crane there. Killed the engineer mm -hmm. on the railroad, and the fireman made it out all right. But the truck driver just jumped off the mobile crane in time, or he'd have been dead. That's why they built that overpass there right. at Turchin. That's exactly right. Well, Jack, it was nice of you to come back. I really appreciate it, and it's great talking. Well, I hope I didn't keep you that long. Oh, I, I, I have the gift of gab, you know. Yeah, Once I get started, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> when I get on interesting subjects. Yeah, well, that's terrific, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, <laughs> thanks for having me here. That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's Oral History. Thanks for watching. Until next time and always, remember when.